All right, who's ready to launch a brand new series this morning? We're going to launch a series called Questions Jesus Asked. Questions Jesus Asked. And I want to start the series by asking you a question this morning. And you can shout out the answer if you know. No Googling, please. No Googling. But here, here's, here's the question. Do you know how many questions are recorded in the Gospels that Jesus asked? Does anybody have any idea? At Shaw, if you know, just shout it out. Shaw might know. They might know. They just might know already. Does anybody know just generally how many questions that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus asked other people? Any ideas? How many? Seven? Fifty-seven. Okay. Any other guesses? Zero. Zero. Two hundred. So, so the answer is there were over 300 questions that Jesus asked throughout the Gospels. You can actually go online and read all of the questions. Jesus, part of his teaching methodology, methodology was to ask questions. In fact, one of the very first instances where we encounter Jesus is when he's 12 years old. And you know what it says? He says he's sitting in the temple, talking to the temple leaders, asking them questions. He asked a lot of questions, over 300 questions throughout the Bible. In fact, if you, if you captured Jesus' methodology and you, and, you, and you distilled it down to two things, it would be stories and questions. Jesus told stories and parables to teach us, and then he asked us questions. So my, my question is, why was Jesus asking questions? Because if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is God incarnate, if Jesus is God in the flesh, then why was he asking questions? Surely he already knew the answers to the questions he was asking. But the more you explore the Scripture, the more you realize that Jesus was not asking questions because he didn't know the answers. He was asking questions of his followers, and he asked questions of us so that we can wrestle with the answer. In other words... I could come up today and say, okay, the point of my sermon today is love God. And everybody write down, love God, and that's what I want you to learn today. Or I could turn that statement around and say, do you love God? Do you really love God? Do you love God with your heart? Do you love him with your soul? Do you love God with your whole mind? Do you love God with your strength, with your body? Do you love God with your, with, 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 with your imagination and with your resources? Do you love God in the, where, in the area of your work? If I went to your work today, would there be evidence that you love God? If I went to your school today, would, there be, would, would your friends say, man, this person loves God, right? So, so all I'm doing is asking questions, but, but the questions are now engaging you in the question, do I love God? Rather than me just standing up and saying, hey, everybody, love God. So this is, this is what Jesus did throughout the Gospels. He would ask questions in order to invite people to wrestle with the question so that, so that they would derive the answer in the depth of their own heart. They wouldn't just memorize what he was saying to them. This is a, a methodology that had been made famous about 400 years earlier by this good-looking fellow right, right up here. His name was, go ahead and put his, that's Socrates right there. Socrates, some of you may have heard of the Socratic method. The Socratic method is just a method of teaching where a series of questions are asked over and over. We don't know if Jesus was familiar with Socrates, but we know that he was familiar with the Socratic method because that's the way he taught. And in fact, there were, 
there, were, there was a long history among Jewish scholars of teaching in this very way. If you go, if you go to a Hebrew school today, what you're going to find are people gathered around the Torah asking questions. They're like, well, what does that mean? Well, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? How does that apply to my life? Uh, what is the real meaning of it? What's the context, right? Because asking questions is a way that we grow, is a way that we learn. Dr. Ismar Sorsh, the Chancellor Emeritus of the Jewish Theological Seminary, put it like this. He said, asking questions is the hallmark of the rabbinic method of extracting meaning from biblical texts. To question and debate deepens the human apprehension or, or understanding of the divine. At work here is an intuitive awareness that asking a good question is already half the answer, and that growth is a function of constantly re-examining accepted truths. So here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to learn from the master rabbi. We're going to wrestle with the questions that Jesus asks us. We're going to wrestle with the questions that Jesus asked the people that he encountered in Galilee and in Jerusalem. And in so doing, we're going to arrive at some answers that are deep in our soul. Today, I want to start with a question that Jesus asked, a probing and penetrating question that Jesus asked somebody who was in a bad situation. Somebody who had been sick for 40 years. Jesus asked him a question. This exchange is recorded in the Gospel of John. Let's read it. John 5 says this. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by Five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of people, disabled people, used to lie. Lie, lie down, not lie, but lie down. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years this person had been in this position. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, here's the question, do you want to get well? I mean, that is a strong question to be asking somebody who's been sick for 38 years. Do you want to get well? Today I'm just going to take that line, and this is going to be my sermon title. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the questions that you are asking us. God, I pray that we would be receptive to the questions, that we would open our hearts and receive the questions, and that deep in our hearts we would wrestle with the questions and ultimately arrive, Lord God, at the answers that you provide. We love you. We thank you for your word. I pray that each and every one of us would be filled with your spirit, encouraged and empowered and inspired by you today. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. Question. Anybody here ever had chicken pox? Anybody ever had chicken pox? So now there's a vaccine for chicken pox. And so I guess people aren't getting chicken pox that much anymore. But when I was a kid, everybody got chicken pox. Like one kid in the school got chicken pox, whole school's wiped out with chicken pox. It just... It just everybody had it. Chicken pox, for those who don't know, uh, are little blisters that form on your body, all over your body, and it's from a virus that you get, and it's very itchy, and then your mom puts chamomile, what is it called, chamomile? No, that's tea. Calamine, calamine lotion. (laughs) Cameroon, I mean, all kinds of different lotions you can put 
uh, they put the little pink lotion on you, and then um, what, you, what, what happens is after a few days, the little blisters don't itch anymore, but you're still sick, and you're still, you know, contagious, so you're not allowed to go out because you're still, you're still sick. And I remember when I had uh, chicken pox, the first couple days were very uncomfortable, but after that, um, things started to get kind of actually pretty comfortable because I didn't have to go to school. Um, I got to sit in my dad's armchair. You know, I had my little snuggly blanket. I had my little stack of books over here. I had my, my record player going over here. My mom's got my chicken noodle soup floating in like, here you go, honey. You know, my sisters are treating me like, oh, he's so sick, right? And so it was pretty good. I didn't have any chores. I didn't have any homework. I was kind of, I was kind of enjoying the condition that I had found myself in. Like if you had come and asked me, hey, do you want to get well? I would have struggled with the answer to that question because I had gotten accustomed to my affliction. <laughs> Church, sometimes we get accustomed to our afflictions. Sometimes we get comfortable with our disease. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily physical ailments in this moment. I'm talking about the kinds of of, of chronic diseases and, and sins that plague us, the, the, the compromises that we make that we get cozy with. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the kinds of, of, of behaviors that are destructive, but that we've gotten used to and maybe we've gotten numb to. And at one point, maybe we wanted to get out of them, but now we're kind of just in the flow of them. And if Jesus came and said, hey, do you want to be made well? Do you want to get well? We would struggle with the answer because we've gotten comfortable with our affliction. We're like St. Augustine. St. Augustine, when he first became a follower of Jesus, he was entangled and ensnared in all kinds of sin. And he prayed this prayer. He said, oh, Lord, make me chaste and celibate, but just not quite yet. You can read that in the confessions. He wasn't quite ready to get well. He wasn't quite ready to get free. He might have said, I want to be delivered. I want to be free. I want to be whole. But he wasn't quite ready to get well. Now, let me say this out of the gate. There are some people that are struggling with sustained diseases and illnesses that God has not chosen to heal you from. And so what I'm not saying is, man, if you're sick, uh, it's your fault because you just don't want it, right? That's not what I'm saying. In fact, Pastor Thurman preached on this two weeks ago. He said, sometimes, sometimes God gives us spectacular grace to take us out of our condition. Sometimes he gives us sustaining grace to help us stay in our condition. And so some of us right now are experiencing sustaining grace because you're in a position or a condition that God hasn't chosen to heal you from. But all of us in some area of our life probably have some aspect of our life that has not been made whole, that God is saying, I actually am giving you the power to be whole in that area. The question is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you really want it? Jesus knows us very well. Here's what he knows about us. Number one, he knows that sometimes our weakness becomes our identity. Just let that land for a minute. You ever hear somebody say, hey, man, that's just how I am, you know? It's just who I am, okay? I know people say I have a bad attitude. Actually, I saw a car the other day. On the, wind, on the back windscreen, it said, bad attitude. It's somebody who just said, you know what? This is just who I am. 
probably way back in their life, they were struggling with a bad attitude. And finally, they just said, you know what? I'm just going to embrace it. I'm just going to adopt it. It's going to be my identity. Their weakness becomes their identity. Some people say, you know, man, I just, I just say whatever comes to my mind. I don't care who it offends. You know, it's just who I am. I got a foul mouth, but that's just who I am. I drink too much, but that's just who I am. I got a wandering eye, but that's just who I am. Sometimes I lie a little bit, but that's just who I am. Anybody with me this morning? I know y'all are getting real quiet. But I'm talking about other people that you know. I'm not talking about, okay? Sometimes our weakness becomes our identity. Let me free somebody today and tell you that your weakness is not your identity. Your disability is not your destiny. Your failure is not your fate. You need to disentangle your weakness from your identity because God is saying to somebody, do you want to be healed? That's number one. Number two, sometimes our weakness becomes our security. One of the most powerful emotions that people have when they're coming off of addictions is a deep sense of insecurity. Who am I if I don't have this addiction? Can I maintain my sobriety? What, what if I don't? Will I let myself down? Will I let other people down? Will the disappointment be too great? Will I be crushed underneath it? Right? And the insecurity of freeing themselves from the weakness drives them back to the very behavior that disrupted and destroyed their life at the beginning. Sometimes our weakness becomes a source of our security because there's a risk to being well. There's a responsibility to being well. There are expectations of those who are well. To whom much is given, much is required. So, so it's risky to get well. This man had been lying in this condition for 38 years. People had been feeding him for 38 years. People had been carrying him from place to place for 38 years. People had been taking care of him and looking after him for 38 years. If he gets well, who am I? What am I going to do? 38 years, we don't know when the condition hit him. Maybe he was 10 years old, right? In the first century, your life expectancy wasn't much past 30. So this was, a, this was an older man for that period. And he's going, man, if I'm whole, if I'm healed, then who am I? Then what am I going to do? My whole security has been wrapped up in my weakness. Third one is this. Sometimes our weakness becomes our excuse. <laughs> the clearest indication of someone who is not ready to be whole is the excuses they make for why they cannot be made whole. Y'all know this already, right? When somebody, when you ask somebody, do you want to be made whole? And then they give you all the reasons why they can't. They're not ready. Just, just let them, just move on. Let them get ready because they're not ready. Jesus knows this so well. In fact, the very first interaction between God and humanity recorded in Genesis chapter 3 some of you may remember this from your Bible reading, right? The very first conversation between Adam and God went something like this. Hey, Adam, I thought I told you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What, what, what happened, man? Because I noticed that you ate of the tree. And remember what Adam said? The woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. He just, she, he just made an excuse. God said, hey, what, I told you. But she, and, and, and Eve, Eve, I'm sorry, you're not off the hook, Eve. Eve says, um, the serpent that was in the tree deceived me, and I, so I ate it. So what happens is we make excuses 
for our weakness rather than just facing it, owning it, and saying, all right, God, cleanse me. You know, if you look at the life of King David and King Saul, these are both tore up individuals. Can I just tell you, if you read the life, I mean, they, they were both very sinful people. But, but, but God said, David is a man after my own heart. And God said, the Holy Spirit withdraws from Saul. What's the difference? Excuses. Whenever Saul sinned, he said, but here's the reason. See, what had happened was, so, so he said, look, there are all these things going on external to me. And da, 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 da. you read his responses and you go, oh, okay, he's making excuses. You know what David said? Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit in me. I am a sinner, base and low. Crush me, Lord, under the weight of your justice. Heal me, refresh me, make me new. Find the hidden parts of sin in my heart. Get those out too. I'm a mess, Jesus. You see, excuses is all the difference. When this man was asked by Jesus, do you want to get well? Look what what happens. Jesus said, do you want to get well? The invalid said, sir, I have nobody to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes ahead of me. Notice what he's doing. He didn't even answer the question. The answer, the right answer is yes. That's the right answer. Yes, I do. He didn't even get there. All he did was explain the reasons why he could not get healed. Now, let me give you some context for those who don't know this passage that well. There's a pool in Jerusalem. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. They, they discovered it in 1880. The archaeologists found it in 1880. They, they dug it up, and here it is. It's got five colonnades, just like John said, and it was a pool where people would go, and it's unclear from the manuscripts whether or not this actually happened or whether people believed that it happened. depends on, on the manuscript you read. But, but the belief at the time was that an angel would come and stir the water of one of the pools, and if you were sick and you got into the water first, you would be healed, Right? Here's an artist's rendition of how it would have looked at the time. Sick people, paralyzed people, blind, lame people would all be hanging around on the steps along the colonnades at this pool. And when the water would bubble up, they would want to jump in. So what this man is saying to Jesus is, when Jesus says, do you want to get healed? He said, there's a bunch of reasons why I can't. Because there's nobody there to put me in the water. And even if there was, somebody else would be in there before me. I've got a lot of excuses for why I am not healed. Notice that the man is, is not focused at all on Jesus' power. He's focused on all of the problems that are preventing him from getting well. Here's a question for you to chew on. What is the object of your focus, your problems or God's power? I'll tell you how I can help you understand the object of your focus. It's where you put your conjunction. Some of you say, what what does that mean? Let me make it clearer. It's where you put your but in a sentence. B-U-T. Just one. B-U-T. Because wherever that is, you're about to negate everything that you said before, right? Alejandro taught us that last week. So if if my wife says to me, honey, I love you, but guess what? We're not getting ready to talk about all the ways that she loves me. (laughs) She does love me, but that's not what we're going to focus on right now. We're getting ready to focus on something that didn't go right. You know, if your if your boss says to you, hey, I just want you to know you're doing a good job, but your boss is not getting ready to explain all the wonderful ways that you're doing your job. Your boss is getting ready to tell you some things that need to be improved, right? Because where the conjunction is, where the but is, 
is going to tell you what's what you're focused on. If somebody comes in to my office and says, listen, I know God is able. I know God is capable. I know God is strong. I know he's a healer. I know he's mighty. I know all of this. But pastor, I got problems. What I know is he's, we're getting ready to focus on your problems, not on God's power. <laughs> okay. But if you come into the office and go, look, I'm, I'm tore up. I'm beat up from the feet up. I'm messed up. I've got sins. I've got stuff all in my life. But God is able to take me wherever he wants me to go. I'm weak, but God. I'm failing, failing, but God. My relationship's messed up, but God. My finances busted, but God. Is it too much to say you got to move your butt? Too much, too much, too much. Y'all weren't ready. Okay. Here's what I love, love about Jesus. Even though this man was not ready, even though this man had his conjunction in the wrong place, Jesus had faith for both of them. Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Second question today. Which do you trust more, God's word or your weakness? Which do you put more stock in, God's word or your weakness? I mean, the answer is your weakness. I mean, nine times out of ten, you just put your, your trust in your weakness. And God's always reminding us that he's there. I think I may have told this story once before, but when, I lived over, when we lived over on Stanford Avenue here in New City, my reputation on the street was that I was the bike whisperer. Because I taught my children how to ride their bikes, and then they brought all their friends, and I taught all their friends how to ride the bikes. And then all the neighbors, all the parents in the community started hearing, and then people just started bringing. I mean, I'd be in the middle of the day. People knock on the door. I didn't even know them. Excuse me, can you teach my children how to ride bikes? Seriously, Eden wanted me to start a business, like a for-profit LLC. You know, thebikewhisperer.com, right? So, so I got good at this. Um, and all I, all I had was one very simple technique. And what, what, the way it worked was I figured out that these kids had been working on riding their bike before they got to me. And that basically, if they, if they hadn't been so nervous and if their parents hadn't been so anxious, they would be able to ride a bike. They actually already knew. And so what I would do is I would take each child, put them out in the middle of the street right on Stanford, and I would face off with them, like get right in their face like a coach. And I would get right in their face, and I would say, let me tell you something. I would whisper it so nobody could say, let me tell you something. You already know how to ride this bike. You just don't know you know how to ride this bike. You, nobody else knows you. You know how to ride this bike. What you're going to do is you're going to pedal fast, and you're going to look straight ahead. And I'm going to run along beside you. I'm going to put my hand on your back. I'm not going to let you fall. But by the time we get to Pennsylvania Avenue, you're going to be riding this bike on yourself, on your own. Do you understand? I mean, these kids were like, oh, my Lord. I was strong. I was strong. And let me just tell you, let's just say 93% of the time. I don't want to exaggerate my victories here. I would put my hand on their back, and I would say, remember, you just look straight ahead, and you just keep pedaling. Don't you stop pedaling. You already know how to ride this bike. And I'd be like, okay. And now here we go. Bang. And now we're running down the street. Boom. And within about 15 yards, man, I'm pushing them off they go. They're, by the time we get to Pennsylvania, they're, they're, they're riding the bike. Now, we hadn't learned how to brake, so the technique wasn't perfect. Wasn't perfect. If I can get that, I'm opening the business. But, but, what, but what happened is that they believed my word more than their weakness. They believed me when I said, you already know how to ride this bike. 
They actually believed me. And they did. And by the time they got to Pennsylvania Avenue, they were riding. The question is, do you believe God's word or do you believe your weakness? Which is stronger? Which force is more powerful? Let me give you a quick illustration. This is the position. Cameras, you'll have to follow me, okay? Pan down with me. This is the position, the condition that this man had been in for 38 years. Right here. Just like this. The scripture said he had a condition called asthenia. That's the Greek word. Asthenia just means without strength. It's not clear what he had. He just, he just had no strength in his muscles. He had nothing. He, he couldn't move. So when Jesus said to him, pick up your mat, get up, pick up your mat and walk, he had a decision to make. Am I going to believe in this guy's word or am I going to believe in my weakness that I've been living with for 38 years? Now, sometimes we, we have trouble believing in God's word because the fear of disappointment is greater than the hope of victory. Like if I believe in God's word and I try and I fail, my fear of failure is greater than the hope of my victory, right? But what if I fail at the relationship? But what if I fail at the job? But what if, right? And God says, no, I want you to get up pick up your mat and walk. And I'm going to struggle to make a decision about whether or not I trust his word or I trust my weakness. My weakness has been very reliable for 38 years. And Jesus says, hey, get up. I'm going to give you something new. Take, take a moment and look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, at once the man was cured. Something in his heart and mind said, you know what? I want to be healed. I want to be whole. I don't want another 38 years weak and debilitated without strength. So he picked up his mat and he walked. And he was whole. He was made completely whole, completely strong, completely pure, completely healed. Because he picked up his mat. He believed Christ's word more than his weakness. Church, do you want to overcome your past? Do you want to overcome your weakness? Do you want to overcome your failure? Do you want to overcome your anxiety? Do you want to overcome the sin that has plagued you and bound you? The sin of disease, the disease of sin that has kept you down? Do you want that? Do you want to be well? Do you want to get well? Do you want it? Do you want that? That's the question. That's the ultimate question. If you have a compelling why, you will figure out an effective how. Let me just tell you. If you want that, there's power. God has power for you. There is somebody today who can make you well. What this man didn't know is that even though he actually didn't know who Jesus was, hadn't heard of him, because later when the Pharisees came to him and said, who told you to pick up your mat? It's a long story, and we'll get into it later. But they, when, when they asked him that, he said, I don't know. I don't know who it was. He just slipped out of the crowd. He just, he was there. What he didn't know is that he had already read about Jesus. Because this was a Jewish man who had gone to Hebrew school, just like every other Jewish boy, and had studied the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah that this man had studied 
says this about the man that he met. It says he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root of dry ground. Put the scripture up, Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. We don't think you can do it, Jesus. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Oh, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned on our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, you don't have to wait for Jesus to pick you out of the crowd. He already took your pain. He already took your sin. He already took your sorrow. He already took your shame. He already took your grief. He already took it upon himself. So that you could say, I want to be well. I want to be well. My weakness is not going to be my identity. My weakness is not going to be the source of my security. My weakness is not going to be the source of my excuse. I'm going to trust in God's power over my own problems. I'm going to trust in God's word over my own weakness. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? I'm not going to give all the excuses. I'm going to stand up and say, God, I want to get well. I'll do whatever you say. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. I want to be whole. We're going to end the service today in, 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 a, in a little different way than we normally do. Every few weeks, or we like to take communion together. We, we, we actually want to celebrate what happened in that scripture in Isaiah 53. Because what happened, that happened after that moment, was that Jesus actually fulfilled that scripture. He went up on a, on a hill, and he carried up a wooden cross... And he laid that cross on the hill and he let them drive the spikes in his hands and in his feet. And he did that for you. He did that for your wholeness. He did that for your wellness. He did that to make you healed. That's what he did that for. To cleanse you of all unrighteousness. To eliminate the, the disease and the stain of sin from your life. 